why is my specialty important and unique? So years ago, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 90s, the practice was that your primary care doctor was responsible for you if you got hospitalized. The emergency room would call and say, Dr. Jones, we have this patient who's yours, they're here in the hospital. And the doctor would split their time between their office and the hospital, right? They kind of go back and forth. And that was a practice for years and years. Hospital medicine has recognized that the care of acutely hospitalized patients is unique. The safety for those patients is unique. And it is a practice of medicine within itself that also requires, I'm sorry, that the hospital requires because it helps with the flow of the hospital getting. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also keynote and TEDx speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. As listeners to the podcast know, my hope is to always bring you interesting guests who are not only interesting, but lead their own lives with enthusiasm and have different ways of helping us to become better versions of ourselves. And today is no exception. Our guest is somebody who has a different uh, type of background and expertise than we've featured on here before. Dr. Monique Nugent is a hospitalist and physician leader practicing in Weymouth, Massachusetts, a suburb, suburb south of Boston. She completed her medical school and residency training at Loma Linda University Medical Center before moving to the Boston area to complete her master's degree at the Harvard School of Public Health. She has centered her career around the care and safety of hospitalized patients. And Dr. Nugent is dedicated to giving people the tools they need to be prepared to navigate the healthcare system through planning and preparation. Her book is called Prescription for Admission, a doctor's guide to navigating the hospital, advocating for yourself, and having a better hospitalization. Really important stuff, because most of us, um, being a hospital patient is not something that we have a lot of preparation for, that you study for, that... Uh, you enter, um, in most cases, not all that willingly, unless it's a, a, an elective one-day procedure. Um, and um, it's not the environment in which we're most comfortable in functioning. So we are so grateful to uh, Dr. Nugent for being able to share her expertise with us. Hopefully, uh, we'll leave here armed with more comfort and better techniques for navigating the hospital system. And so, uh, Monique, I am so happy to have you uh, as a guest on Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Really looking forward to our conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, let's um, 
I introduced you as a hospitalist and physician leader. Those terms may not be totally mm -hmm. uh, in, in the background or, or in the vocabulary of some of our listeners. So can you explain each of those things? What, what do you do as a hospitalist and physician leader? Yeah, so as a hospitalist, I practice uh, in a field called hospital medicine. That means that I'm a board certified internist and my practice is just in the hospital. I don't have an office where I see people afterwards. I only focus on patients who need to be hospitalized. I'm an, again, an internist, so I see adults um, and they're not in the ICU, right? So people who have had an infection, a heart attack, there's lots of reasons people end up in the hospital but don't need the ICU. That is where I see my patients. And that's the practice of medicine that um, I've built and where I focus my advocacy work and research. Well, I don't do research anymore, but my advocacy work and, and um, focus on safety for patients in the hospital. Why is my specialty important and unique? So years ago, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 90s, the practice was that your primary care doctor was responsible for you if you got hospitalized. The emergency room would call and say, Dr. Jones, we have this patient who's yours, they're here in the hospital. And the doctor would split their time between their office and the hospital, right? They kind of go back and forth. And that was a practice for years and years. Hospital medicine has recognized that the care of acutely hospitalized patients is unique. The safety for those patients is unique. And it is a practice of medicine within itself that also requires, I'm sorry, that the hospital requires because it helps with the flow of the hospital, getting patients in and out. If physicians are consistently available, it helps with the safety of having somebody there to support the system, the nurses, the care for the patient all the time. Um, and so a couple of young docs in the 90s started to say to the docs in the office, hey, let's build this relationship where I will see your patients when they're hospitalized. You stay in the office and I will report back to you. And so what we've seen in medicine is that hospital medicine is its own field. And a lots of other types of specialists have found that that type of practice works well for them too. So in obstetrics, you might or might not hear the firm term laborist. That is an obstetrician who works solely in the hospital in the acute delivery setting, right? Um, not going back and forth and back and forth. Um, you have pediatric hospitalists, again, pediatricians who only work in the hospital, and you have acute care surgeons. And those are surgeons who work only in the hospital, seeing what comes in through the emergency department and those surgical needs that arise from hospitalized patients on the floors. And so we found that having people who are dedicated to the care of patients in the hospital is really good for safety, for quality, for flow, um, for cost. And so hospital medicine is the field of where hospitalists, just like a cardiologist practices cardiology, uh, where you find my work. As a physician leader, I've spent my time in different roles, helping to manage the group or growing out different parts of the hospital, again, being really tied into the safety and quality of the hospital systems and being an advocate for my patients, but also advocate for the healthcare providers within the system to make sure that their practice is safe. They feel like they're delivering high quality, empathetic care. So that's what I do. 
Yeah, that's that's great information. I know uh, I've only, uh, other than overnight for, for a surgical procedure, I've only been in the hospital once for uh, for bacterial infection in the last days. And uh, I was a little surprised that I didn't see my primary mm -hmm. uh, care physician, but saw somebody on a regular basis who, uh, you know, was able to kind of communicate between the various specialists who saw. So it's it's obviously a, a field that, that really is, is growing and active and so on. Um, I mentioned the fact that uh, most of us aren't used to being in the patient in, in the hospital as as patients, and uh, the very fact that you wrote the book and that you're doing the kind of work that you're doing suggests that it doesn't always go smoothly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I I would think that would probably be. Uh, true for a lot of things. I mean, if you, if you uh, never flew on an airplane, then negotiating an airport may be kind of difficult. Uh, you know, if you uh, have a legal case or something like that. Um, what is it that uh, makes it kind of uh, uh, necessary for, for you to write a book like this about, you know, you go to hospital because you're going there to get taken care of. Why, why do we need to uh, worry about things like advocacy and things of that nature? I, I like that airport analogy um, because it's just as busy as an airport, right? A hospital has so many different things happening, so many different people playing in all these different roles. And you as a patient show up in a time of need. Right. Somebody shows up, they're sick, they're in pain, they may be confused, they're looking for help. And oftentimes our healthcare system and the cumbersomeness of the machine can eat people up. People can easily feel like they're not being heard. And they're often cases when they're not, right? Um, people can get lost within the system. Uh, I just recently had a patient's daughter stated very clearly to me that, you know, she just really wanted to make sure that her dad was comfortable above all. But days before that, she stated it differently to uh, a case manager who heard it as, um, I want my dad to have comfort care and be like end of life. <laughs> so she was, she wasn't advocating for that. She was advocating for, you know, less poking and prodding maybe not as aggressive intervention, but her words um, were different to somebody who heard them differently. And because that person lives in, in the system, um, now acts on those words. Oh, we're, we're talking comfort care, that's end of life. And you know, she wasn't really advocating for that, right? So the system is very specific, but it's also very convoluted. And people get easily confused, dragged through a hospitalization can feel like they've lost their sense of agency. Um, and then also there's this issue of safety, right? When you're not yourself, when you're sick, when you're looking for help, you may not be able to list all your medicines. You may not be able to remember all of your allergies. You may not be advocating for yourself because you're confused. And so how do you get support? And for me, 
I've worked on two different coasts. I've worked in multiple hospitals, academic settings, county settings. Um, one county hospital had a jail uh, attached to it, VAs. I've worked in many different hospital systems, but it's the same problems over and over. It's just a different building. Um, and so I wanted to write this book to give people the tools that they would need to understand the system that they were about to come in contact with, with a hospital. Okay, now sometimes um, you get there because of an emergency. Uh, sometimes you can, uh, you can plan, you have some time for planning. Um, what are some of the things that as a patient, uh, I should be aware of, uh, you know, whether, whether I can plan for it or whether even if I'm admitted as an emergency, on an emergency basis, assuming that I'm not, you know, totally uh, unresponsive and I, and I have my faculties and can do some decision-making and requesting and stuff like that. What are some key things to be aware of? So planned hospitalizations are kind of different from unplanned hospitalizations in that hopefully you've had a chance to sit down with the physician who's admitting you and make that plan. They have all of your information. People are expecting you. You've packed a neat little bag. Um, it may not be the most pleasant reason that you're being admitted. You know, it, it maybe it's for um, a planned surgical intervention or maybe it's for a round of chemo, right? But those type of hospitalizations are a little bit different because there's a background that's built that's expecting you. An unplanned hospitalization, you can oftentimes show up in a hospital that knows nothing about you, right? Let's say you're visiting your friends in North Carolina and you're from Florida and you end up in a hospital in North Carolina. There is no information there. Um, in addition to you being a blank slate, the hospital is a, kind of a blank slate to you, right? And so safety is built off of information in hospital stays. Planning a safe hospital course really hinges on information. What medications does a patient take? What are their underlying conditions? What are the things that they're planning for in the future? So we can make sure that we're making a care plan that is not only consistent to get you through a hospital stay, but consistent with your care going forward. Or if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of medical needs, how do we make sure that we get you set up for success after a hospital stay? And all of that is information. So what I say to people is be the owner of your information. If you can own clear and consistent information or at least know where to get it, right? The biggest thing is gonna be giving that information to your caretaker. So what medications do you take? And if you can't remember all of them because they have all sorts of names, um, what CVS do you go to? Let people know where they can get that information. If you see a specialist, who is your specialist and how can they be contacted? Because your hospice is going to want to make sure that our care plan is consistent and, again, follows you and what your specialist is planning in the future. And then also having a, a care partner, right? And I use the word care partner very clearly because there's lots of different roles for people to support you through a hospitalization. A healthcare proxy, right, um, is kind of different from a decision maker, which is different from a guardian. But in general, you mentioned someone who has their faculties, right? 
um, I still say have a care partner. And who is that? That's somebody who helps you in your everyday life make decisions, who knows things about you, who can sit at the bedside and be another set of ears, another mouth, can listen to the what the plan that the doctor has, can go over your med list with you at discharge, or even at discharge say like, well, you know, he's got three steps to go up to get into his house. Maybe he needs a pair of crutches. Just somebody else who's thinking about you and looking out for you. And oftentimes that's your spouse, your partner, your best friend, a neighbor, whoever it is who's tied into you and is just your regular social support system. You know, who helps you get to doctor's appointments? Who do you call when you have a sore throat? That person tends to be your care partner. If you can bring them in so they can be another set of eyes, ears, and an extra mouth for you, that's going to be really helpful to help you feel supported. That's that sounds like it's really important for for various reasons. One is, you know, you may forget about certain kinds of things. I I know I sometimes in filling out a health history will forget that I had, uh, you know, arthroscopic knee surgery thirty years ago. Uh, you know, which was pretty important at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or things of that nature. Um, things that that have become kind of recessed in my mind because I don't deal with it every day. Um, But the other thing is, I mean, some of us will tend to overplay or underplay certain kinds of things so that, that, you know, like you mentioned the three steps, uh, those, those may not even occur to us as being steps because we've been, Mm -hmm. been taking it all the time. So, I mean, it, it sounds like having a care partner to, to help you out is is really important, even if you think you don't need it. Yeah, think about who would you call to pick you up from the hospital, right? That person is your care partner, right? And and that's going to be the person who's also going to help you not feel so socially isolating because hospital stays can be isolating. They can be lonely. You're alone in the hospital and the world is still going, right? People are still going to work. Kids are still going to school. The Super Bowl was just yesterday and there were people who were hospitalized. It's just a different thing that's happening, but your world is kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. And so your care partner will also help keep you plugged into what's going on outside and help you to not feel so socially isolated. Anything else besides a care partner that uh, would be kind of a general principle we should keep in mind? So I always encourage people to have conversations, hard conversations when you don't need to have them, right? So when you're not sick and it's not an emergency, that's the time to sit down and have a conversation first with yourself to say, who would I pick to be my healthcare proxy? Um, And why would I pick that person? Then with that person to say, hey, I'm getting my paperwork in order um, and I wanna be able to list somebody as a healthcare proxy as well as give them the information of what I would want done for me in cases where I wouldn't be able to speak for myself. Um, And then writing it down on an advanced directive. So I always encourage people, sit down and complete the paperwork in your state for the three following pieces of documentation. One is a healthcare proxy. That's the person who you would list to make decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. The second is your advanced directive. And that is what you would say you want your care to be. And it can be as verbose as you want. 
You can list every possible thing you would consent to and things you wouldn't. Or it can be very plain and just say, my daughter Jane is my healthcare proxy and she will make those decisions. But take the time to try and give more information so that your healthcare proxy feels like they're empowered to know what you want. And the third one is a MULST form, or depending on your state, they might call it a PULSE form, a Mobile Order of Life-Sustaining Treatment or a Portable Order of Life-Sustaining Treatment. In my book, I do have a page where you can scan a QR code to take you to the national database, and you can download the one for your state. And what this is, is an actual medical order that you will sit down and fill out with your primary care doctor or any other practitioner who helps you make these decisions that says what you would want done in the case of an emergency of a cardiac arrest, a respiratory arrest. And then some of the states go in, say even more, would I accept dialysis? Would I accept IV fluids? Would I accept tube feedings? Fill out as much as you can. Think about it when you don't need to, right? And fill that out and have it signed, have it all put together in a place people can easily find. Make sure your primary care doctor scans it into their electronic medical record so they can give it to somebody if they need to. Because if I'm asking you and your family to sit down and make these hard decisions, the truth is it probably has no easy answer, right? So you don't want to have these conversations when you need to under pressure. You want to have these conversations and though they're hard, they're awkward, they're unpleasant, but you have these conversations when you have some time and emotional space to think about it and talk about it in a relaxed setting. Yeah, that's, uh, it's like so many other things. Uh, we don't think about prevention as much as we do responding to crises. And mm -hmm. it sounds like relative to the hospital, the more we can pre-plan, even when we're not facing a hospitalization, the more we are doing prevention, which is, really good medicine. Um, there's an area that may be a little less comfortable for you to talk about, but uh, uh, we're kind of operating under the, the assumption that, that ho uh, the term hospital is used kind of generically. Um, when we go into a hospital, we meet certain physicians, certain nurses, so on. Um, some may be very authoritative, may be very pushy about their particular point of view. Some may not be very nice people. Uh, among the, the the majority, again, having worked in hospitals for many decades, uh, you know the majority of people are dedicated, are very nice, very patient oriented, and even some of the ones who are very authoritarian are. are uh, keeping the, the, the patient's best ideas in, in mind, their best interests in mind, but they're, uh, they're pushy. Uh, <laughs> if, if you feel you're being treated inappropriately in some way, I'm not talking medically, mm -hmm. um, but uh, you're, you're being encouraged to make a decision that, that, that doesn't have to be made one way. You know, what What do you recommend to people when, when they feel uncomfortable about how they're being treated, either because of kind of the the, the authoritarianness or or the not niceness? Yeah. 
So I think sometime during COVID, we we decided that all healthcare practitioners were like a separate set of angels who came down from heaven and they did a shift and they went back up to heaven. Um, and they were all beautiful, perfect, nice heroes, right? But exactly what you said is that they are people who are coming to work with their own set of values, their own set of stressors, and their own experience within that system. And we cannot separate them from that experience, that lived experience that they have. And so people have every type of personality that you could think of, including the pushy, shovey ones. I always encourage people to think about what they're trying to get as themselves, right? Because as much as you, you hope everyone is focused on you and we teach practitioners to be patient, focused, sometimes the patient may feel like the focus is not on them. Um, and to bring that focus back to them, but also they should be focusing on themselves. What am I trying to get out of this situation? What do I need? Because the truth is you're shoving your pushy nurse has an eight to 12 hour shift and she will be gone at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., <laughs> right? Um, somebody else is coming. You still have to get what you need out of the system. So try to bring that focus back to you and internally, like emotionally to yourself and say, what am I getting out of this? Instead of, I've seen it a hundred times, like people who leave the hospital because of personality clashes. I don't like this person. This person doesn't like me. I'm out of here. That's not what you're here for. And that's not how you should focus. Remember that person is eventually going to get up and walk out the room and you're still the one who has to get through this hospitalization. So um, that being said, everybody has uh, a boss in a way that people answer um, for what the people under their care is experiencing. Uh, and so I do advocate, and I say in the book, to address these issues, number one, immediately, right? Coming and saying, I didn't like how X, Y, and Z nurse spoke to me two days ago, doesn't help because that nurse may or may not be there anymore. Feelings have changed and people, experiences have moved on. You address that first, address that immediately and address it um, in an appropriate fashion with the person's closest to the event. Hey, I, I feel like we're not getting on right now and the conversation is becoming very strained. Can we stop and try to focus on what we're trying to accomplish? That doesn't work, immediately address it with the next person. Can I speak to your charge nurse, right? Um, can you, you know, bring the nurse manager by? Uh, with physicians, again, everyone has someone they uh, are answering to. There is always a medical director that somebody is answering to. But again, try to address it immediately with the person closest to the event, because that's the person who is caring for you in real time. Being someone who has answered a ton of patient complaints, I am often so far away from the event, both like time-wise and logistically, that it, we're doing a lot of like chart review and catch up. Whereas I want you to try and solve your, your issue immediately. Again, Dr. Jones, I know that you feel like we have to make this decision right now. I am not ready to make this decision. What decisions can we make to move forward? Um, and then set a time, I'm going to come back to this decision a little later, or like, why do you feel like this decision has to be made immediately? Being on the other end, I, I, I know that there are some patients in time who have felt that maybe Dr. Nugent was pushy um, and, and really tried to force them into 
making decisions, but there may be a timeliness reason behind it that you may not be grasping. Um, to, oftentimes it's that we need to make this decision so we can plan appropriately, or I feel like somebody, you know, is becoming more unstable. Where are we going? What are our goals of care? Um, and try to have these conversations with that person. Uh, it, it gets sticky through time because how different people practice with um, the organization does affect who, you know, they're answering to. So like private practice physicians who may be contracted to commit, it may be harder for you to find it immediately someone to talk to. And that's why I say try to address it immediately with that person. Um, and if all else it feels like it's failing, hospitals are, are required to have an advocacy department. And that department really is supposed to be the person you can go to and say, as a patient, I am having this difficulty. Help me to navigate this situation. And the advocacy department often has ins that you don't know about. They know all the directors. They can send the emails. Um, they can help you kind of navigate that situation. But also, now you have someone within the system who's also hearing you. And then I also always say to people, make sure that your care partner is there. If you have another set of eyes, ears, and another mouth who's experiencing this with you, who can advocate for you, the, hopefully the conversation can move. But the same thing that I teach, and I won't want to teach providers and students and everything, is to like focus on the patient. I once had a mentor who said, if they're talking about you, you've already lost. They should be talking about the patient and the issue, right? I want you as a patient to do the same thing. Focus on yourself. What do I need to get through this interaction? And I know it's not pleasant to have like, feel like you don't like your doctor and things can be strained. But remember, you've got to bring it back to you and what you need. And it may not always be easy. You know, if there's that one thoracic surgeon in that hospital, there's like one thoracic surgeon in that hospital. And that's going to be the guy you have to deal with. So how do you pull that conversation back to your needs and how do you pull your emotions back to your needs? Well, that's, uh, that's really excellent advice. And uh, I, I, I think it's particularly good to know about the hospital's advocacy department. Uh, I know in, in the hospital where I worked at for many years, there was a patient advocate who um, we used to marvel as uh, as doctors at how he was able to be able to be friendly and positive with both sides when issues mm -hmm. arose, and he was just the perfect person for it. And I suspect that's not rare in that type of position. Um, what about, uh, you know, again, uh, if we don't have a lot of experience uh, and we don't want to be unreasonable, um, I, I'm sure that some patients don't care. You know, they they come in and, and they are very self-centered in this regard. But, you know, like uh, uh, if, if you push the call button and nurse doesn't come for a while, I mean, I've had the experience of somebody saying, well, you know, and if he or she said it, nicely that uh you know i'm sorry but we have somebody down the hall who's really uh really sick um you know that's understandable but 
you know, when you push the call button, five or 10 or 15 mm -hmm. minutes can be a really long time. And uh, how do you, uh, how do you determine whether your expectations are reasonable or not? Maybe too general a question, but I, I think that's, that's an interesting one. No one's asked me that. Um, I always, I, I've had very like reasonable, nice patients and patients who people would say were very difficult um, and made a lot of unreasonable requests. What has helped me as a physician is to think, where are these requests coming from? And a lot of the times they're coming from prior bad experiences, right? that just what you said, I press the button 10, 15 times and no one comes. So now I just lean on the button and I just press it and I press it and I press it and I expect people to come here because essentially I've been conditioned that I'm not going to be seen if I don't make a scene, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know how to tell patients to decide if they're reasonable. I only know how to tell physicians and healthcare practitioners, how to craft that therapeutic relationship um, with those, what they may see as unreasonable requests by acknowledging that those come from prior experiences and try to find a middle ground. So I often tell the story is uh, I had a patient whose daughter wanted to be called every time their loved one got a medication. So every time the nurse went in the room to give him medicine, she expected a call. Now, we call that med pass when you give the medicine to the patients. And um, those times are high acute, like safety times for nurses. Nurses need to know that they're giving the right medication to the right patient the right way <laughs> at the right time. And so they're not going to pick up the phone and call every single time they go in for a medication. It's extremely cumbersome. It's also a safety issue. So I had to sit down and think, where was this request coming from? This request was likely coming from a prior experience of mom or dad getting the wrong medicine or getting a medicine they didn't want or getting it at a time they didn't think or getting a dose that was wrong. So really, what is the issue? The issue isn't every time the nurse gives a medicine. The issue is, what am I prescribing? So what I did was meet with her on a regular basis. And at the end of every meeting, I would go through every medication that's on the patient's list. So she knew what was prescribed for the day. So that is easier than every time the nurse comes in, it gives her more med a more control to have a conversation with me directly instead of saying to the nurse, don't give that, call the doctor and say X, Y, and Z. Now she has a conversation directly to me. So I would encourage providers because I'm sure I hope there are some providers who are out there listening, right? When you feel like someone's making these unreasonable ex like requests, where is that coming from? And and try to see how you can mitigate it maybe a little bit upriver because further downstream it's probably too late. The experience has probably already happened. Okay, good good information. Really appreciate this. Uh, have lots of questions and almost no time. <laughs> ask you one question, and then we're going to find out about the book. Uh, the one quick question, or <laughs> that hopefully has a quick answer. Uh, when somebody leaves the hospital, um, we get surveys. Whether it's uh, mm, yes, uh, 
forgot the, the name uh, uh, um, of some of them. Uh, yeah, Prescani, uh, others. Do hospitals get this information and do they care about what, what we said after we get out of there? Not only do hospitals get that information, um, not only do they care about it, oftentimes people are reimbursed based on some of that information. So patient experience, um, patient safety uh, is oftentimes tied to how hospitals are reimbursed or uh, providers are reimbursed or, you know, different packages from a, um, a <laughs> uh, how do I explain it? Different in packages that insurers put together for um, different disease processes. Uh, and then they do take that information and they're expected to grow from it. And so I do encourage people to not only fill those out, uh, but I know that when I tell patients, write a letter and they they look at me quizzically when they say, I'm very upset, I didn't have a good experience, um, I'm gonna write a letter. And my answer is, please do, all right? Write that letter, please send it to patient advocacy or patient experience or to whoever it is. Because a big part of how the system improves is feedback. And we need not only good feedback, we need to know when things are going wrong. And so, yeah, fill it out. Great, Great information. I'm sure that we've only gotten a fraction, a small fraction of the information that's in your book. So how about letting us know once more, run by the title of the book and let us know where we can get it. Thank you so much again for having me. This was a really fun conversation. Um, the name of the book is Prescription for Admission, A Doctor's Guide for Navigating the Hospital, Advocating for Yourself, and Having a Better Hospitalization. But you can put Prescription for Admission into Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or anywhere else you buy books online. Uh, you don't have to put the whole title, but it is Prescription for Admission, and you'll be able to find it there. You can also find me on my website, which is drmoniquenugent.com, D-R-M-O-N-I-Q-E n-u-g-e-n-t dot com, where I have some downloads for people to take and make sure that they're learning how to set up some of the family meetings and other skills that I teach in, in the book as well, uh, as well as you'll find my blog and some other interesting things that I hope people can learn from uh, on that site. So again, check me out on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, but also check me out at my website. And if you're an Instagram person, uh, I, my handle is um, the happiest hospitalist. I'm going to admit fully right now that I'm not the best at Instagram. So you can go on and kind of giggle at my awkwardness as I grow in that platform. Uh, but that's the place that I'm also hoping to start sharing some educational information in the future. Okay, that's wonderful. And we'll have the show notes. We'll, we'll have all the links and the information in the show notes too. So that... Uh... Hopefully, um, people will benefit from your wisdom in, in many different uh, ways, however they, they get their information. But this has been an absolute delight, Noni, uh, not just a delight, but it, we've gotten some tremendous information. Uh, and as I said, I'm sure it's only a fraction of what you're able to share with us. Again, nobody... Uh, Nobody really prepares to go for the hospital. Uh, and uh, 
you know, most of us wind up there sometimes and really best to go there armed with information and make the experience as good an experience uh, as we can have it both subjectively as well as hopefully uh, from the uh, from the experience we get with the reason that we're we're going there for whether it's a good surgical outcome getting the disease under control and so on so thanks again it was great talking with you uh and this brings to a close another episode of the rejuvenating with dr ron kaiser podcast our special guest today was dr monique nugent and we hope that the podcasts uh, stimulated you enough to listen to it again, tell your friends about it, download it, rate and review it, and be back next week when we will have another uh, interesting, informative guest who will help us to become better versions of ourselves. Until then, everybody remember to stay positive, stay safe. It's Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off.